0: Uh, his H Um, the reading is taken from Luke chapter 15 on page 990 in the church Bibles and I'm going to read the first three verses and then jump to verse 11 Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering round to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of of the estate. So he divided his property between them. But while he was still a long way off his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him he ran to his son threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him Father I have sinned against heaven and against you I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants quick bring the best robe and put it on him put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet bring the fattened calf and kill it you are always with me and everything I have is yours. But be glad to celebrate but, be- but we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Thanks very much, H.E. I guess for most of us, when we hear the story of the prodigal son, it tends to conjure up images of a kind of footloose young reprobate who, as good as wishes his father's father dead, and then with the cash he gets from an early inheritance, heads out on a rock-and-roll style lifestyle. In a current context, perhaps fueled by cocaine, loose women, booze, etc., until eventually he hits rock bottom, in this case the pigsty, and then he comes back penitent, and the father, against the odds, receives him in a wonderful embrace and throws this spectacular party in his honor. And I guess for most of us there's this theme that whatever we do, whatever we say, we're never beyond the reach of God's forgiveness. And that, of course, is a very powerful message. But I would like to suggest it's not the only one that we should find in the story or the parable of the prodigal son. So I guess my prayer today is to look at the second feature of this parable, and that is the elder brother. Jesus himself said there was a man who had two sons. He didn't say this is the story of the prodigal son. He draws our attention to the fact that there are two sons. The first of which, as we've already seen, is a character that is effectively ruled by The the motto or the credo, if it feels good, do it. Be true to yourself. And he goes on this decadent, hedonistic voyage of self-discovery. And we're all familiar with that part. But actually, the second brother, the elder brother, represents the sort of, I guess, the man of moral rectitude. The guy who has conformed to the social mores of the time. He's the guy, if you like, who is governed by religious observance so-called traditional devotion to um, the pillars of society, etc. And the interesting thing is that both these brothers are also depicted in the crowd that was listening to Jesus at the time. When H.E. read out the first three verses, you'll remember that Jesus was addressing, on the one hand, the sinners and the tax collectors, and then on the other, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Okay? And both of these people groups listening would have felt in some way kind of called or drawn to each of the two brothers, okay? So you can imagine the sinners, the tax collectors, they're on the fringe of society. They're the wild cards, the people that are viewed with disdain by the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And yet on the other side of the spectrum, you've got these sort of rather self-righteous, puffed up teachers of the laws and Pharisees who are viewed probably as sort of, I don't know, trying to think of the right words here, but the kind of the bigots, if you like, from the free spirits that we see in the younger brother types, the sinners and the tax collectors. So just to recap then, you've got these two people groups, both of whom have identification within the story that Jesus is telling. Teachers of the law and the Pharisees naturally reach out towards the elder brother, and then the wild card sinners and tax collectors towards the younger brother. And one of the lovely things about the Gospels is that we see that throughout them, the people that longed to be with and flocked towards Jesus were those wild cards, those younger brothers, the prostitute that washed Jesus' feet with her tears and with her rich scent. Zacchaeus, the tax collector that had Jesus into his home. And ultimately, it's the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, if you like, the elder brothers, those governed by, I guess, intense moral rectitude, they're the ones that eventually killed Jesus. So we as a church should probably ask ourselves, you know, where are we on this side? Are we, are we elder brothers? Are we younger brothers? Who have we got in our church, and who are we attracting to us? And I know with absolute certainty that I, am, um, I have an elder brother uh, in me, in, in a major way, and we'll touch on that later. But anyway, so that sets the scene then. The desire, I guess, of this sermon, or this spiel, is to try and alert us then to the, uh, the plight and the dangers of that elder brother's spirit or mindset. So we start then with this, uh, we'll call it the conclusion of act one, where you've had this wildcard renegade younger brother run off and eventually comes back. And against the odds, and you can imagine the Pharisees in the crowd listening to this would have been horrified that the father greets him with this run, this loving embrace, he fits him with a ring on his finger, this robe on his back, this flatted calf, all of which denote this huge lavish, lavish sense of generosity, forgiveness and reinstatement. The ring, as I understand from commentators, was an emblem of the family identity being restored to this younger brother. The robe would have been one of the father's special dresses or special coats that again signified his approval and restoration of that relationship with the, the wild card son. And the fatted calf, at a time when most people basically just ate vegetables, meat was a rare delicacy. So to have a fatted calf was again the symbol of, of lavish opulence. So we have, if you like, at the end, the close of, of Act 1, this party of unity and love, of forgiveness, and it's a massive, it's a massive spectacle. We can imagine that with um, all the people from neighboring states brought in, the community, servants, family, there is a big party going on with a spectacular impact. And in a way, the, 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 the story, the parable could have ended there, and there would be um, a natural sense of resolution to it. But of course, the climax is still to come. The real theme or the meat of this story rests um, on the second act, which we'll call that of the, the elder brother. And uh, we, we see him really in, in a fairly sort of poisonous spiritual condition. And it's worth bearing in mind that uh, he's so angry or disgusted at what's going on that he doesn't go into what is potentially the greatest public event of his father's life. He hangs around outside of the party. And thus, in the same way that the father runs out to meet the younger brother and plead with him and bring him in, so he does with the elder brother. It's this initiating action of the father on both the younger and the elder brother's behalf. So the elder brother, sorry, the father comes out to plead with the elder brother to come in and get involved and celebrate. And whereupon he's really met with, I guess, a sort of a stream of bile, this torrent of pent-up anger. And if you remember, the, you know, H, you read it um, with great gusto. But we saw, you know, this, this list of kind of angst. You know, not even a goat. All these years I've slaved for you. Um, I've been this devoted son. And yet the one younger brother of mine, or he even says, look, this son of yours. He doesn't even say my brother. This son of yours. There's such contempt in that. He comes back. He should be expelled from the family, and yet you give him this hero's welcome. You treat him like a member of royalty. Where's the justice in that? And in a way, the Pharisees particularly would, 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 have, would have, I guess, responded or resonated with this sense of earthly wisdom. This elder brother, is, um, he's got a point. And yet what he's really saying is all these years, I've never disobeyed you, therefore I have rights over you. You owe me. Father, you're in my debt. And so this kind of, this bitter streak, for those of you that resonate or identify with the elder brother, it's something that is definitely there in us. And we'll touch on that a fraction later. But the interesting thing is here is that, despite all this abuse that the father has received, and this tongue, or this, there's a chest prodding, and this sense of... of Angry injustice, probably publicly, because everyone at the party will be aware that the elder brother is not there. Still, the father says, look, what's the effect of? For all that you've said to me, I still want you in the feast. And that's effectively where we leave it. It's a cliffhanger. Those that were there at the time when Jesus said this, told this amazing story would have wondered, well, does the elder brother get invited in? Is he able to share in this wonderful celebration? And the the basic implication is that he probably doesn't. And this would have been a shock to those listening, particularly because in conventional terms, the good brother, the good son, doesn't get to partake in the excitement, the feast, the celebration, the reward. And the one guy who has brought the father's shame or the father's reputation into shame and disgrace, he's ruined the family name, is in fact the guest of honor. And so the father or I should say the elder brother's self-righteousness, that pride, that kind of, I'm going to do things my way, I'm not going to be bowed by your ability or attempts to try and pull me back in, that self-righteousness ultimately prevents him from from joining in um, and from partaking in this wonderful celebration. So I guess for those of us that identify with that elder brother spirit or character, these things will will be a shock, you know, for me, there is, a, as often as not, a steady undercurrent of anger. I hold grudges long and bitterly. Um, I, I, on a daily basis, I'm dealing with issues of superiority over those that I feel have got unwholesome lifestyles, who um, at work who are of a different religion or a different worldview than me, or particularly even within the church, those of a different theology. And I get piddled off by that. I allow this to grate me. Similarly, whilst I'm sensitive to criticism from other people, I am merciless in my condemnation of others. And I'm not sure whether this resonates with you, but there are traits of the elder brother, not saying in all of us, but it's very easy to embrace these and actively see them as part of our Christian living. Okay, And certainly for me, when I look at um, my life, I'm aware that by virtue of perhaps praying each morning, of ticking a list of good, wholesome, noble Christian activities, be that reading my Bible, tithing where I can, saying grace in front of non-believers, getting into arguments on the nature of the resurrection or whatever. I kind of feel that I've represented God so well that He owes me, that He is in my debt. But more than that, that He's lucky to have me on His side. And therefore in response to that, I've done my part, He's got to bless me. And therefore for those of us that identify with this elder brother kind of image, Um, Things go badly wrong, badly wrong, when things don't go our way. And I guess at the root of our problem is that when um, we do these so-called good Christian activities, these damnable good works, as they've been described in the past, um, we are doing them for the wrong motives. And as a result of that, we see in the Elder Brothers figure that ultimately he doesn't get to share in this wonderful feast, this party of unity and love. And certainly within the Christian context, we can allow that elder brother spirit to impact us in a way that means we miss out in this life of those glimpses of heaven that God in his wonderful mercy has allowed us, be that the intimate fellowship of a church or the kind of sweetness of of true Christian friendships and relationships. So I raise that, the issue of motive is one of the areas that we, if we are suffering from the elder elder brother spirit, need to be particularly sensitive of. Why are we doing these things? Is it truly to get to know God, to love Him, to resemble Him, to be in a, a beautiful friendship with Him? Or is it predominantly so that we can then manipulate Him? Do we see our Christian activities as a tool by which we can then control God? And As we see with the outcome of the elder brother, that rage and bitterness, That is the ultimate conclusion to that kind of mindset where you think that if I do X, Y, and Z, God owes me one. So the interesting thing here is that we do need to learn to repent, not so much of the sins that we've committed, but the motives for them. To use a phrase, we need to learn to repent of things other than sin. And when we look at the Pharisees of the Bible, When they repent, they're still Pharisees. Whereas a Christian, when a Christian repents, when a Christian wrestles with the wrong in their lives, it should lead to a place of turnaround, to uh, a greater intimacy when ultimately we realize um, that we can be melted and moved by the cost and the price that God paid to win us back and rescue us back. And I guess it's worth stating at this point that the wonderful redemption of the younger brother this party and the reunion with his father does come at a cost and in verse 31 Jesus says echoing the voice of the father everything that I have is yours he said this to the elder brother so in a sense the elder brother is now the sole inheritor of the father's wealth and possibly one of the reasons why the elder brother is so upset and angry about the nature of this party is that he is footing the bill he is paying the cost but what he would rather see is an expulsion of the younger brother. And bearing that in mind, I, I have an elder brother, so I kind of can identify with the, sort of the dynamics at, at work here. But Jesus presents us with this appalling picture of an elder brother. One would have thought that the elder brother, the real, a decent elder brother, sparked by his father's grief and distress and the picture of rejected love. A decent elder brother would have traveled off to that distant land to track down the younger brother, to rescue him and to pay for him to be brought home, whatever the price was, out of his own wallet. And the interesting thing I I think the parable lends itself to is that it presents us with a picture of the true elder brother, and that is Jesus. And unlike the younger brother in the parable, we do today, whatever stage we're at in this journey of faith, we do have that true elder brother who did more than just wander off or run off to the far off country to try and bring back and rescue the younger brother. Actually, Jesus came from heaven to earth on our behalf. And similarly, he didn't get out a wallet and pay for this younger brother to come back by us. He actually paid for it with his life on the cross. And so when we consider the, um, I guess, the, the debt that deep down we know, and we look at the cross in the light of this parable, and we see Jesus hanging there, naked, We know that it was while he he was naked, he was naked so that we could be clothed with that royal robe we sang about earlier in the song, Majesty, King of Kings. And similarly, when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? It was the only time in the Gospels that he referred to God as God rather than my Father. And that's because God was not treating him as a son at that time. Rather, he was treating us as the son the favored special child that could be bought at the price of his son to come back into that wonderful feast and that banquet. So I guess the picture that you may have, I guess, gleaned from this, this spiel that I've shared with you today is that actually both the younger brother and the elder brother represent choices that alienate them from God's love. Ironically, it's the bad brother, the younger brother, that gets accepted and made guest of honor at this wonderful festival, this celebrated event that is the culmination, if you like, of act one. Whereas the elder brother with his bitterness, his self-righteousness, his ability or attempts to try and control the father and manipulate him through good works is the one that misses out. So I think my prayer would be as as we head off back outside of this church, you know, if you're a younger brother, you're probably in quite a good place, because ultimately, you know, Christianity isn't just another religious option on the table. It's the sweetness of this relationship of a father wounded by rejected love who throws this fantastic party to reinstate you to to the feast. But those of us that are, are struggling with the whole elder brother identity, we've got to just jettison, throw off those damnable good works at the foot of the cross, at the foot of Jesus, and present ourselves as we are, humble, contrite, broken, because that's exactly what the son was in the pigsty. The younger brother was in the pigsty, and that's at the place where God can truly work with us. So I guess my final prayer would be that if you are struggling with these elder brother tendencies of self-righteousness and a desire that leads to you feeling that God owes you something, that He's in your debt, He's in our debt, you know, let's throw that away and run into this um, this wedding feast. Bible talks about the end times of the wedding feast of the Lamb. Let's not miss out on that glimpse of heaven that God so longingly wants to give to us. I think we'll pray there. Thanks for listening. But Father, we thank you for this wonderful story that Jesus told 2,000 years ago. And I just pray that as we savor on some of the words and the various characters involved, the younger brother, the elder brother, and the father, Lord, that we would jettison and throw off the chains that have dogged us, be that in wayward rebellion or be that in moral and religious observance that has clogged our communication with you. Instead, Lord, we just pray that we would see you and come to you humbly and honestly for your redemption.